they're not working themselves into their fingers bleed like you do in an agency. They're not working until midnight. Like they still have some of that flexibility, but they really need a full time for these companies to like sort of like even allow them to fit in with their schedule like they just need more access like I will say like my one agency client right now I can do whatever I want I sign in when I want I'm sort of independent like I don't really have a team I just kind of like come in and do the work and make sure it's done Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the pod. I'm very excited to be here with you guys. I'm Jesse Grossman. For those of you who are new, giant, huge welcome. I don't know about you guys, but I have like a couple trips lined up this month, one this weekend and another for a week with family during like the like school break. Oh my gosh. And like, I love going on a trip. Who doesn't love going on vacation? But I feel like sometimes the prep work in order to do so is a challenge. And I mean that in all different aspects, like preparing for like just where to stay, what to go, what to see, what to do, but also just like how to wrap up your work so that you're not working. (laughs) I just realized today, literally today, that one of our virtual events is right in the middle of my vacation. So there's no way around that. We have like tons of people who are coming. Shout out to uh, our omni-channel strategy virtual event. You should totally come and I will be in Miami (laughs) while it's happening. But being nimble, I guess, is something that's really important to learn and to get better at. But like also just really like how those weeks before and then of course like the time after, before and after vacation could just be so stressful at work, just trying to wrap stuff up or play catch up. Your inbox explodes while you're gone. The longer you're gone, the longer the amount of emails are that you have. And like sometimes you come back and you're like, ooh, was it even the right decision to go away? Anyways, I, like first world problems here, right? I am excited to go away. I'm going to Nashville. I'm going to Miami. And I've never been to Nashville before, you guys. Miami, I'm from Miami. So like, well, it might seem exotic and so cool for some people. Like it's cool. We're going. We're excited to go. But like I'm literally from there. I was there for 18 years of my life. But Nashville, I've never been to Nashville before. So we're like, I have a Delta credit card that I've had for years. And one of the many benefits, I'm like a big Delta girly. One of the big benefits of it is that you get these companion certificates every single year. But I am notorious for like just forgetting about it until it's like about to expire. Last year, the freaking thing expired because I remembered it before it expired, but there's all these blackout dates. And I think you have to book travel at least two weeks before it happens. So like long story long, I couldn't even redeem it last year, which is such a waste, like hundreds of dollars that I could have had. But anyways, we were up to the wire of redeeming this year's, or I guess 2023's companion certificate. So it was between Nashville and Austin because I wanted to go some, well, you can only redeem them domestically. And I wanted to go somewhere that I had never been before. And those are two like on my bucket list for sure. So we're just doing like a long weekend in Nashville. I'm so excited. I got some recommendations from people. If you have any, well, I guess by the time this 
podcast airs, I will have been back from Nashville. So I'll let you know how it was. It was, I'm very excited about it. I feel like there's like, oh gosh, this is so embarrassing to admit. But like, I love The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And like, it's such a guilty pleasure of mine. Everyone has different tastes in reality TV. I hate admitting that I love that show because it like goes against a lot of things that I fundamentally believe. But like, whatever, I check my brain at the door and I enjoy it. A lot of those people like live in Nashville. So I'm secretly like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to like run into somebody who I recognize. How cool is that? We'll see. I will definitely be that girl who's like on my phone being like, oh my God, like it's so and so. Will you take a photo with me? (laughs) So we'll see if that happens. We're also there for Super Bowl weekend. So I think that'll be a fun place to be for the Super Bowl, like go to a sports bar or something. We have like basically nothing planned. We have a whole list of like possibilities of things to do and we're kind of going to wing it. That's how we travel. Anyways, excited. Okay. So this week, I haven't even told you anything about this episode. Okay. So this week, we have an interview with a friend of mine, Katie Stoller. She is a friend of show. She's been on the podcast twice before. This is actually her third time. Can you guys tell? I feel like this is like a trend this year, like bringing back folks who have been on the show who were just wonderful the first time and I want to catch up with them and for you guys to catch up with them. So we will link below in the show notes to her other two episodes so you guys can check those out if you so choose. But I'll give you the little bit of lowdown on Katie in case this is the first time you're hearing about her or you want a reminder. So Katie Stoller. So she is an influencer marketing veteran. She began her career in 2009 in LA working in fashion PR, dressing A-list celebrities and working celebrity gifting suites at award shows. I actually didn't know that before now. She then moved home to Chicago where she had a decade-long career working at top global PR agencies, all the big ones, Ogilvy, Ketchum, and Golan. She then led the influencer marketing team at a company called Fiat Growth, which is a fintech growth consultancy working closely with affiliate and performance marketing teams. And then in 2023, she transitioned to being an independent marketing consultant for businesses and talent. That's when she also launched her education company, which is InfluencerInsiderGuide.com, where she puts out valuable resources for those in the influencer marketing industry. She is a member of WIM. She's a mentor with WIM, and she's also a mentor for DePaul University students, which I love, love, love. I think that's amazing. We get all into the freelance life. Like, that is what this episode is about. So, if you are just getting into being a freelancer or a consultant or your early days, or you have been considering it or dreaming about it, <laughs> daydreaming, whatever it is, this is an episode that you're not going to want to miss. So, I'm excited for you to hear hear more from our guest, Katie Stoller. Enjoy, guys. This show is sponsored by Women in Influencer Marketing, better known as WIM, the best online community for the creator economy. You will meet fellow influencer marketers. You'll meet brands. You'll meet talent agencies to talk shop, get hired, and even find a mentor. When you become a member, do not forget to check out all of our incredible resources. For example, we have dozens of masterclasses from the top voices at TikTok, at YouTube, award-winning agencies, and women who are paving the way for us all. So if you want the chance to network with a who's who in influencer marketing, check out what it takes to become a member. Make more money and have fun doing it. 
visit IamWim.com slash join. That's I-A-M-W-I-I-M.com slash join today. And I so look forward to seeing you more around the community. So I think this is your maybe, is it your third time coming on the podcast, right? Third time? Third time's a charm, baby. Third time's a charm. So I'm like, do I even need to introduce you? I guess I should introduce you. I mean, we briefly introduced you in the intro to this episode, but Katie Stoller, super excited to have you here today. We were just chatting like before we started recording. I'm like, it's also just like low key a chance for us to like catch up a little bit and just like have some like catch up time. So I'm just excited to have you on again for the third time. So welcome. And how are you? I'm good. I know. I was like, is anyone going to want to hear from me again? <laughs> like, They will. It's been a long time though, I will say. So if you have listened to my other episodes, life has changed drastically since then. So everything. So tell us a little bit about the changes because I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. So I think the first time I came on, it was like right when your podcast was like pretty new. I think we were me and Molly were on together, Molly told us, and I was at Ketchum full-time or almost full-time. I can tell that story in a little bit. And then the second time I was on, I think was like pandemic-y time. Like I was kind of between things. I think I might've been at the growth marketing agency I was at, but it was like that weird time warp that we all lived through from 2020 to like 2023 where time made no sense. And now we're in 2024. It's a new year. And it's been official, officially a year since I've gone totally freelance. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about that more today, but it's been a journey. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And like that is, I don't, it's just such a timely topic. It's something that I was so glad that you were wanting to talk about today because I was like, yes, I would love to talk about this today. Just like the idea of going freelance, being a consultant, like, whatever you refer to it as. I feel like there's like different terms, but just like not living that corporate life. And I think this is relevant for people, whether you're in it currently, you're starting to do it, or you're even just like thinking in the back of your mind, like, what if I left my job or, you know, insurance policy? What if I get let, laid off from my job, which is happening left and right to so many people in our industry? And I just think it's like a good thing to to know about, to have an awareness of. And you're a year into it. Congratulations. I think that's like a really exciting milestone. So I hope you like breathe that in. And like, I I love that for you. So I guess like one of my first questions is, you know, so many corporate people are leaving that corporate life. And again, like for various reasons, whether it's on their own accord or being let go and they're trying to do freelance work. So as someone who's done this, like just can you give us a insider peek into like what your experience has been like this first year, like maybe some of the good, some of the bad, but the realities of it. Yeah. I'll start with kind of like a little mini story as to why this even like happened because I will say I'm not a big patter on the backer of myself, but I was like ahead of the game in this because, and I just, you were part of it. Like I came to you many times to ask you questions and get your thoughts on it. But we're talking like 2017, 2018 was really when I started having like serious, serious thoughts about it. And I've always described myself as more entrepreneurial. Like I went to grad school for PR around 2012. And everyone was getting these big cushy jobs, Leo Burnett, Ogilvy, you know, Ketchum, these big, huge PR and ad companies, ad agencies. Some people were going in-house and I just was like, ew, like none of that sounded appealing to me. And it's crazy because I worked in large PR agencies for over 10 years. So it's like kind of a wild 
thing that that was my mentality, but it's true. Like I always kind of was like, I really want to be my own boss. I don't like the idea of the like corporate structure. And I used to sort of like be almost like not ashamed, but like annoyed with myself that that's how I felt. Cause I was like, there's amazing agencies in Chicago and like, there's so many opportunities that come from these agencies. Like, why are you fighting it? And as I grew in my career and got higher up and had more responsibilities, I like wanted it less. Like I want, I wanted the entrepreneurial thing kept getting greater and the corporate trajectory kept getting less, like less enticing. So, which to me tells me that like my gut was sort of right. Like my instinct has always kind of been the same. So then I ended up getting pregnant in 2018. And I remember talking to a friend that was also an advertising, she was at an advertising agency. And she said the day she realized on her calendar that her maternity leave was going to end, she like horrible thoughts. She was like, I can't go back. Like, it's just not something I physically can do. And it like stuck with me because then I was going through it like the next couple months. And I was like, oh my God, she's right. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to go back, but I can't just quit my job. That's not like an option. So I went to HR and I don't, I will say this story is, comes from a place of privilege, first of all, like the ability to even request going less than full time is not available to people, especially with the economy these days. It was different, you know, before the pandemic. And then also, I don't think companies are really doing this anymore. So if if you're like, Katie told me that this is a thing, like it might not actually be a thing anymore. But I went to HR, I was at Ketchum and they were so gracious. They let me drop down to 30 hours a week, stay a full-time employee, keep my benefits, keep PTO days. I was completely full-time. I just didn't work on Fridays, essentially, was kind of how it was. Or I would work like seven hours a day instead of eight. Like, But it gave me that like extra freedom. And at one point, I dropped down to 20 and then back up to 30. Like, They were just very flexible with what I needed. And this was also pre-pandemic work from home. And they allowed me to work from home two of the days. Like, it was, They were so incredibly flexible. And it, it really ignited this thing in me of like, this is how work should be. Work should be on your terms so you can have a handyman come. You could get your dinner prepared. You could be with your kid a little bit more than normal. Like my child was still in day- in childcare. It wasn't like I was a complete, you know, stay-at-home mom situation. But it just allowed me this like breathing room that I created on my own because I asked for it. And that was really the impetus to like what I'm doing now, which I now am my own boss, but I only allow myself in the context of my work to work in a position where I have that flexibility and there's costs with that. Like, and we can go into this, but the grass is not always greener. I guess that's like the one thing I would say with going corporate or going freelance, the grass is not always greener and it's just different grass. I think, I don't think I'm the quote, the person that quoted that someone said that, but it's true. It's like the grass is just different on the other side. And with that grass comes positives and negatives. So it's not perfect (laughs) getting out of corporate, but it's just, to me, the breathing space and that freedom was incredibly important. And that's literally what I strive for every day. Okay. So the grass is greener. It sounds like with the freedom, with the, like the flexibility and like, oh my gosh, like good to your previous employer for like allowing you to be able to do that back then. I feel like back then it was like unheard of. So I would give, I mean, you like you're giving them all, it sounds like you're giving them all the credit being like, oh, they were just so wonderful and so flexible. Like I can, I mean, there was something that they wanted in you and they were not willing to give up, I'm sure. And they were probably willing to be flexible because of what you brought to the table. No, like, do you just, do you agree or disagree with that? I mean, I do, but I feel like one of the reasons I never really felt like at home at agencies is because I never really felt like 
anything special. And that's no knock on any of the amazing agencies I've worked at. Like I owe them so much for my career. But an agency isn't really set up to make people shine necessarily. Where like the second I started having clients of my own, getting more involved with whim and doing more speaking engagements and really like focusing on my personal brand, the like accolades came like a parachute from the sky. It was like, it was like a water hose of people being like, you're awesome. Come speak. Come help me. Come consult. Like, and I had never felt like I was anything special for the 10 years I was at the agency. I never felt like I was bad. I never ended up getting laid off through all those years. I never, you know, really had any like slap on the wrist. Like I never did anything wrong, but I never got awards or like I was, you know, begging for promotions every promotion cycle. Like that was enough. That's a whole like kind of other part of the, you know, a separate from the freedom. But the agency world isn't really set up for people that like value words of affirmation, which clearly I do. And I feel like I get that so much more as an independent. So I think to your point, like I was valuable in the sense that like I was filling a role. I was good at my job. I was showing up to work on time. Like I was doing all the right things. But I don't think HR was like, this is a stellar shining star that we can't lose. Like I think they were just like, we don't necessarily want to lose this person have to fill her position. So could we dig into that a little bit? Because I am curious. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who's never worked at a brand facing agency, I've only worked at talent agencies before. Like, what do you think that is? Like, do you think that's like, there's like a, a purpose for them being like that? Or like, what do you think that is in terms of culture, like agency culture? I mean, it's crazy because it's like the culture at all these agencies is pretty good. It's fun. Like they make it fun. If you're more of like an outgoing person, especially like before kids, it's really fun because you're staying for happy hours and you really like make some of your best friends. Like I've had people in my wedding that I met at agencies. I've been in people's wedding. Like there really is a culture, but in terms of like career accolades, at least for me, and this might just be my experience, I never felt special. Like I just never felt different I never felt like my ideas were like really like, what's the word, like rewarded or anything. Like I always, again, was like kind of even keeled and doing a good job. And I don't think it's set up necessarily like that. I truly believe this and others might disagree, but I believe that it's just a matter of everyone's so busy and overworked. And the staffing and that's, totally, and, that's, and that's totally valid. And that could be it, you know, potentially for sure. And so, okay. So like, it's interesting. So you, you know, it, well, I heard you say a couple minutes ago, like, so is words of affirmation, like, is that your love language? Is that something that's really important to you? I guess. I always thought I was more of an acts of service person, like around the house. If my husband like picks something up, I'm like, yes. Like I, I'm definitely more in my personal life. I think acts of service, but I realize now as like a late 30s person that's been, you know, in the corporate world for a long time. And now for myself, I'm like, I really like thrive on people being like, This was great. We need more of it. Or just any type of like feedback. I need feedback. I'm a feedback validation type of person. Okay. I know that's super interesting. Actually, you're making me think. I'm like, I wonder if our love languages could be different, like in our personal life versus our professional life. Like, I think that's super valid. So it's interesting. Okay. So perhaps in your in your professional life, like getting feedback and like getting, you know, words of affirmation is really important to you. So like it's pretty interesting that like the second you start to like 
put yourself out there more in terms of like your personal brands, you're getting all of this feedback and all of these words of affirmation. So like, I don't know, talk to me about like how that affects you now that you're transitioned and now you no longer working at another a company, an agency of any type, like you are now working for yourself. I can imagine like at some points it feels a little isolating working with yourself, but you know, you have all these clients and you have all these people that you're interfacing with and it's just, it looks different. It feels different. Does it seem to help your morale now, now that you're getting this feedback? Like, is that like a, a positive loop that you've now, you know, subscribed to? Oh my God. I, I feel like it like changed my life. Like I was sort of more of a shy, like, I don't know if I'm an introvert or extrovert. Like, I'm good in small groups. I am not good in big crowds. I'm again, like not someone that shined in the agency kind of bubble, but I like kill it when it comes to like selling myself. Like, I mean, I, that's the most feedback I get from people is like your voice on LinkedIn and we love listening to you. And like, I just, I feel like that's just where I excel. And in the confines of corporate, it's really hard to do that. Like, it's hard to be like, I'm going to go, you know, on a Wednesday at two and do like a speaking engagement or be on a bunch of podcasts at, you know, 11 o'clock during the week. Like, it's just not set up for that. And I think things are changing. Like, I think we're in this shift where like companies are realizing human beings need their own kind of like trail of their personal brand because they're not attached permanently to the company they work for. And I think employees are definitely realizing this. But for me, it's like, I mean, everything has changed. Like the way I do business, who I want to do business with, my ability to give back to the people that have mentored me and, you know, all the years of people that have encouraged me, I now can give that back to others and put more positive vibes out into the world. And I just am so much more comfortable in kind of calling my own shots and being my own person. And and I think the other the other part of this is like, it is okay if you are great at corporate. Like if you thrive and you're getting those promotions and you're making a lot of money and you've got a 401k and and you like the like kind of like nine to five structure, like no one's really bugging you after hours for the most part, go for that. I have so many friends that are just like, they're like SVPs, EVPs at agencies. They're making a ton of money. They're working on amazing brands and they're like living the dream. And that is great, but it's just, it didn't work for my personality. And that is okay. Like we are allowed to go down different paths. I think the for anyone listening that's like, which one am I? That's the thing is figuring out kind of which one resonates best with you. But, and that's also not to say that I won't go back. Like now that I know all this stuff about myself and how I work best and what makes me happy, like I probably would do a lot better in an agency right now than I would have prior to doing all this. Quick question for you guys. How much do you love redlining agreements? Yeah, me too. Let me tell you about our latest sponsor called Caveat. So Caveat, with a K, is an AI-powered contracting platform that simplifies and automates your contracts. It'll hugely improve the way that you review partnership agreements. So if you're a media company or an entertainment company or a management firm, it's a must-have tool. Sometimes you do need to hire a lawyer, an expensive lawyer nonetheless, to work on an agreement because it's over a certain threshold and a good lawyer can be invaluable. But what about all those other partnerships, those other contracts that are for $5,000 and even like $1,000? That's where Caveat comes in to support you and your team through AI to process your contracts to gain a competitive edge 
through data-driven insights and automatic AI-driven headlines. It's game-changing tech, and it's founded by three brilliant women. So you know why I'm out here supporting it. Get time back in your day because Caveat will help you with the part of your business that may be your least favorite. So head to our website. It's iamwim.com slash caveat for a completely free trial. That's iamwim.com slash K-A-V-E-A-T. I hope you guys love it as much as I do. So the newest sponsor of the WIM podcast is Zealot. So Zealot is still in beta. And you guys know that I love seeing great new tools come to life. And you can now be a part of this one. So Zealot helps turn brand ambassadors into a scalable channel for customer acquisition. What they do different is they gamify ambassadors, which I think is super smart. They give points instead, which equates to dollars, and they frame the ambassadorship in a really fun way. The platform makes it really simple and easy to send what they call missions to ambassadors. And they also make it really simple to acquire new ambassadors as well. So with Zealot, you'll get thousands of ambassadors driving sales and or UGC at scale all in one place. And they're also running an exclusive offer just for the WIM community. All you have to do is head over to their website, joinzealot.com and mention WIM. That's joinzealot.com and mention WIM. I think you guys are really going to love this one. What do you think is the difference? Like you would just approach it very differently. You would ask for different things. Like what would the shift be? I don't know if it's just like a mindset shift that like, I think part of it is, okay, I just thought of it as I was saying that. Part of it is just like, I feel like I've already proven myself and there's like not much more to prove. Like I've proven that people care about what I'm saying. So like I can take that feeling and that energy into like the confines of an agency and have a little bit more confidence, I guess. It kind of just comes down to confidence. The other thing, and this is going to sound like mushy and silly, but like having a child in 2018, I had my first baby in 2018, my second baby in 2020, hashtag COVID baby. But having my kids, everything like changes in terms of like, it does nothing matters as much like other than your kids. And I don't mean that in like a negative way, but like, so what if I don't get the promotion on time? Like, so what if my friend that I think is like, shouldn't be promoted when I was supposed to get promoted? Like that used to gut me. I would literally years of my life were just feeling pissed off because I felt like, you know, I didn't get the account I wanted, or I got asked to shift to an account that was like a worse account or whatever. Like these things would gut me. It was my only thing I cared about in life. Like truly, like it was bad. I was obsessed. And now it's like these little kind of like work things. I can like compartmentalize them as work because once you become a mom, I, at least for me, I was just like, that's the, like the minutia of life. It's not, it should not be the focus. And I think some of that was also just from, again, like the confidence I gained with having my own clients, getting feedback from my clients and just kind of like all the years culminating together of how much work I've done. Like I think we don't, we, we, we go, go, go. I look back and I just did a LinkedIn post about this a couple months ago that resonated with people, but I started t- in my Instagram stories, like sharing influencer content that I helped put out. It wasn't like my content, but it was content influencers posted from the brands I worked on. And I started resharing it just to kind of like show my friends and family, like, look at the cool stuff I'm working on. Always hashtag client. So people know that I'm not contributing to the numbers. I'm just showing something I worked on. And then I created highlight reels. And I click through those sometimes and just I'm like, I have done so much cool work. Like 
that gives you a level of confidence. I've worked with so many brands, with so many influencers that even if my POV on things was like stupid, which it's, you know, not, but even if it was like, I still have all this work to show for regardless of anything else. So that, that's helped a lot. I think with my confidence too, it's just that like live. Totally. No, I appreciate your transparency and like, that's why I love having you on the show because you're always like very forthcoming and just like self-aware too and open about that. And I don't think enough people are in like all of those, any of those things. I want, you know, it's interesting. Like I was just uh, having a conversation conversation with someone yesterday about like disc profiles. Are you aware of disc profiles? D-I-S-C. It's so good. I won't get into like all the specifics, but like it's another type of like personality test, but it's like specific to work. And you sort of like take a very comprehensive assessment and figure out which of those letters, which correspond to like personality traits, you're most aligned with. And I relate it to what you're just saying because I th- the concept of it is like, well, I can be a little bit of a D and a little bit of an I and a little an S and a little C. I can, I can do all those things, but some of those things are going to fill me up and energize me. And some of those things are going to exhaust me. And like we're high functioning like people. And so you can, chances are you can just do any task that's in front of you. You could work at an agency for the rest of your life and like probably do well, you know, like not even like just skim by, but like you could probably do well and you could figure it out along the way. But I think it's important to have the awareness in yourself of like what specific things really actually fill you up and energize you. And Others are just things that you can do, but like they really do exhaust you because it's not like your natural style of doing things. And so when it comes to like neat, like what is the term? Like thief is the something of comparison, like, or yeah, like just the idea of like being holding yourself and comparing yourself to others as you see people getting the promotions or like getting the the raises or the even like the accounts that you might want. I'm right there with you. Like I've when I worked for other people and like I would see all that happening around me and like I wasn't involved in it. I wasn't getting the praise or the raises or whatever it was. Like it very much affected me as well. And like it's not something that it's like easy to admit, right? Like you don't want to let people know that like you are affected that much. But like I've been there. I've totally been affected. I would get super salty about stuff like that and just like get really down about it. And it's not going to encourage me. And so like I know that like I work so much better more as like in a smaller team or like on my own and pretty autonomous because the experiences that I have in those like micro situations of like working one-on-one with a client here or, you know, in, in sort of things that are in my control that really fills me up and that really like gives me the encouragement and the excitement to like move on and not get distracted by the other things that just like don't do it for me, don't resonate with me. And some people get motivated when they see other people getting accolades because they're like, they're competitive, I guess, in that way or whatever it is. But like, I'm not that way either. So, you know, I think like, I think it's just important to like, if something is not working, like if you're really feeling like something as intense as like, you know, this is bringing you to tears or like this is giving you so much anxiety or stress, like it's worth digging into it to say, right? Like, is this something, is this right for me? Like, or is there a better way of 
doing this and not just like settling with like, well, this is just something I have to like white knuckle my way through or this is just, you know, this is me being whatever. Like you don't have to settle for something that makes you so uncomfortable. Like there is another way. And I think that's like why I was so excited to have this conversation because I'm like people five, definitely not 10 years ago, but even five years ago, it'd be like going out on your own and like being a consultant like full time, like, but like, are you looking for a job at the same time? Like, can't ex- can't even wrap their head around the fact that like, no, like, girl, this is my job. <laughs> this is my job. And in fact, I I'd love to dig into like your experience in particular. But I've heard from so many people that they're like, I'm making more money than I ever did, and I have more freedom, and I have more happy, and all these things. And it's like miraculous because not enough people talk about that. It's totally possible, totally doable, and it could could, not always, of course, but like it could be even better than working for somebody else. It used to feel as if working for a company was the stable thing, was the reliable thing, and was like all for all those reasons, the better choice. And being an entrepreneur was the riskier one that like, like, you know, just a handful of people explored. But now it almost feels like it's more risky to work for a company considering how many people are being laid off these days. And like, you know, and then they're laid off. And then there's all these other companies that are also laying off. It's not like they're like in the silo. So like they go to look for another job and it's like a really hard job market right now. So first of all, semantics, but I do want to like clarify with you because I think some people are curious about this. Do you personally prefer the term freelancer or consultant? And like, is there a difference in your eyes? I mean, I've just sort of used them interchangeably, which is probably not correct. <laughs> when I first went off, and I, I wonder if people like can resonate with this because this is kind of was my mind, was my like thinking. I said freelancer because I didn't want to like commit to consult. Like consultant to me felt more permanent. It felt like I'm done with everything else. I am a consultant now. <laughs> and like, it felt more professional, which is like not my vibe, if you can't tell. Freelancer to me felt a little bit more like loose. Like it could mean that I do this. I could, it could mean that I do this. What I found is I actually prefer consulting jobs where I'm truly a consultant. <laughs> so, and so like, just like define what that is to you. Like to, again, you were like, hired more of a consultant. What is, what is it to you? What's the yes. difference? And I'm like, might be like not using the correct the term correctly, but because I think it is a little bit subjective. But to me, consulting is someone paying for like my brain, essentially. They're not paying for my work. They're they're paying for my brain. And I've had a couple of these jobs where I come in, usually on retainer, and it's usually a somewhat small retainer because I'm not outputting anything. I'm just giving them access to me. And I don't know if that's probably the best way I should lay it out, but it's kind of what has been working in at least my first year. And it's, so it's an affordable retainer where they have access to me on a Slack channel. They have access to me to give presentations. They have access to me for their employees to tap me. One company, I sort of acted as like her CMO almost. Like it was sort of that fractional level of like, I was sort of doing everything. I did not sign up to do everything, but it just snowballed that way where she was like, can you work on my website? And I was like, I don't know how, but I sure I can. And in the first year of freelance or independent work, a lot of people are like, you got to define your your offerings and you got to define everything. And I was like, yes, but I don't know what they are yet. Like I need, I needed to give myself the freedom to figure it out. 
So I was kind of a mess. Like I was all over the place. I was literally like rebuilding websites, which I have no experience doing. Also doing influencer marketing, which I have tons of experience doing. Like I was doing kind of everything. But back to this conversation about the consultant, my favorite ones were where it was just me showing up on a call and I was getting questions answered. I would walk through like scenarios. One of them was with like a talent agency that was more talent facing and I'm brand side. So it for having access to me for a few hours a month, to be like, how do we respond to this was incredibly, incredibly valuable for them because like everything that I build is like, you know, a peek behind the curtain into brand life. Like that's kind of what my whole like brand is all about. It's figuring out how brands think, how they strategize, how they plan when they work with influencers. And if you're a talent management company with a bunch of young talent managers that have never worked brand side, you have no idea who's reading these emails and what their like mindset is. So I was able to come in and be like, this is how I would have responded to your email. I would have been like, I don't have time to address this. You're emailing me at a time that makes no sense. Planning happened two months ago. Like, and they'd be like, oh my God, that makes so much sense as to why no one's responding. Like I was able to sort of crack that code. So that to me was what I considered consulting more, where it's more of the mind share over the actual like execution. To me, the freelancer can kind of come in and maybe do like both. Or they're like, I can pull a list of 50 influencers for you by Wednesday and then you can pay me 20 bucks, like whatever. Like it's more like like transactional. This is is like the perfect answer. Like, and because I don't, I'm asking the question genuinely. I'm like, I don't really know the difference. I feel like there is kind of a difference and it's, it is totally subjective, but like what a cool way to articulate it. Like it's like picking your brain versus what did you say? You are like your work, like you just having you and uh, like come in and, and do work for them. No, that makes so much sense. So what do you think? So, okay. So like, let's say you decide to go either of those routes. I think for the purpose of this next conversation, like it could be either. Like you decide to be a, define yourself as a consultant or a freelancer, but you are like off on your own. What do you think are some of the traps that some people might fall into in terms of freelancing or consultant? Like you named one right there, which I think is super valid, which is like people say that I should like define all of my services, but it's like in your first year, like who's this? Like I think that's like very idealistic. I think your approach is probably what most people would experience or have experienced. So I appreciate you saying that. But like, what other types of like traps did you maybe, if you want to personalize it, like fall into in your first year that maybe like gave you trouble? Yeah. I mean, the biggest one for me, I guess, was my goal was to make as close to my salary on my own as I could. Like, I mean, as much as you don't want to make this about money, it's about money. Like at the end of the day, like no, this is your job. Of course you want to make it about money. It's your job. You should absolutely make it about why do you why do you say that? Why do you say that it it shouldn't be about money? Well, because for me it was so much about like the freedom and the flexibility and the like, you know, all the stuff we've talked about, the confidence. Like it was there were so many other like amazing benefits and things I was excited about and just the time. I mean, just having time after 10 years of working, more than 10 years of working in these agencies and in corporate worlds, like time is valuable. And it was an asset I did not have. Like I was out of it every day. So that was part of it. But at the end of the day, like my husband's like, you can't get paid off like butterflies and rainbows. <laughs> like that doesn't pay for food. So my goal was to like approach the number. I was not, I knew I wasn't going to make the number, but I, my, that was sort of my North star. And then you sort of have to work backwards. Like you have to like build your rate out, figure out how many hours a week you want to work. And I've talked to a couple people one of a very dear friend from WIM, um, who's also a freelancer, who's like kind of like 
been amazing to mentor to me. But she was saying that her first year of going fully freelance, she did two full-time freelance jobs, like like 30 to 40 hours, two of them. And she said she made more money than she's ever made in her whole life. And I looked at her like, are you kidding me? Like how? So some people are willing to like go that hard. And you, there's, I mean, as long as the companies are okay with it and you're like getting the work done, you do you. I mean, I could never have handled that, but there's different ways to approach it. I mean, you can go that way where you're just like, I will take on big projects with big price tags to get to that point fast, but I'm going to work myself to the bone. Not saying I endorse that route. Then there's the route that I sort of went, which I also don't necessarily endorse, but it kind of just was happening as it was happening. But it was taking a lot of smaller projects and kind of getting to know how I work, getting feedback from the people I worked with. I took on a lot and I didn't say no a lot. And I learned that like halfway through the year, I had to start saying no more. I was getting like a friend of a friend of a friend recommended you. I barely like knew these people. I I was like, I don't even like have that much of a connection to this person, but, and the amount that they're willing to pay is like not great, but I would just be like, okay, fine. (laughs) Like, so I was doing a lot of that stuff, which like anyone would recommend not doing that. But again, the first three or four months, like that is okay. Like let's not judge because you kind of got to figure out what works. But there, I think there is somewhere in between of like taking on way too much, pricing yourself really high and taking on every little oddball job that you don't want to do. But it does take time to figure out what you do want to do. Like I was saying before, I don't, I do a lot of execution. One of my jobs is with a huge agency. So I'm doing all execution, but, and it works for that. It's a very structured. I like it because it's a certain amount of hours a day. I'm at that computer. I get my work done. I'm access to huge companies and huge brands and huge budgets. Like it's great, but I can do the consulting on the other side and I can do some of the other stuff that fills me up. So I'm very much like a balanced type of person. But then there's people that they do three clients. They charge $10,000 per client, nothing more, nothing less. And they do X, Y, and Z. And that's it. They will not look at your website if you ask. They will not come speak in person. And what's most important to you? And I think that like that's a lot of what I'm hearing you say, which I think is incredibly valid. And like not enough people are probably thinking about that, especially in their first year. I feel like in the first year, I can imagine a lot of people are like, I need to I need to make my salary of what I was making before, right? Like they need to reach that benchmark, which is smart, of course. Like it's in. And so like they're they're going at it like, with nerves, nervous, you know, and approaching it that way. Of course, it takes time to like get over that hump. Hopefully you do. And then you're not approaching decisions based on fear. You're approaching decisions based on what's best for you. And that's a big shift. And I don't know at what point that happens. I'm sure it's like different times, like different lengths of time for different people. But like about a year in, which is ironically where you are now, like I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, like you're getting over that shift. And it probably sounds like it might have even happened sooner for you where it's like a bit of time goes by and you're like, oh, I'm not going to sit around twiddling my thumbs. Like the work is available. I am hireable. And so now it's like, oh, well, I have a, I have the option to like sort of like architect this to really work for me. You know, you don't have to be like a slave to it. Like it almost, it can work for you. And that's part of the freedom. Like we're talking a lot about like the free, the time freedom that you have, like and as a working mom and having not just one kid, but two kids and, you know, just wanting that freedom. Some people are childless and just want the freedom to do whatever the hell. So like, you know, wanting that freedom, but also the ability to like 
perhaps be picky about the type of work that you do, whether that's the type of clients you work with or you want to challenge yourself to do something new or different. Like that's a really incredible opportunity that freelancing allows you to do as well. So like where do you feel like you're at now a year into it in that respect? I still feel like I'm very much figuring it out. And I do feel like I did the work the first year. I think that's another thing is you're doing the work of like figuring yourself out and figuring what fills your cup and all that and, you know, getting your confidence. But you're also taking a crap load of calls. Like I was on, I mean, my job the first six months, literally my job was just being on the phone all day. Like my husband would walk by and be like, you have not, not been on a call since 8 a.m. And are these sales calls kind of like for the most part? It was everything. I mean, it was mostly the, the minute I went freelance, I emailed probably 50 people. Like I was like just letting them know I'm freelance. And it, most of them were like custom email. I wasn't like, you know, mass emailing, but it, I was asking either like, can you talk? Can you get lunch? Some of them were just to my friends to be like, I got to fill you in, you know, whatever. But those, that was kind of like the basis. And I encourage people to like keep a Rolodex, like old school in a book, whatever, in a Google sheet, but like keep an index of these people because you will forget. You will forget that one person that gave you great advice once. I have a Google list of like, I don't know, 200 names from last year. And I'd say like 50 of them-ish were people that I knew, whim people, ex-employees, coworkers, ex-bosses. And then the rest, the other hundred whatever, are just people I met through people, through people being like, oh, you got to talk to this person. Or I also was doing a very like concerted effort to grow my LinkedIn following. And through LinkedIn, I've made some amazing connections. You'll make horrible connections on LinkedIn, but you'll also make really good ones. But you have to sift through. I mean, that takes time to go on those 15-minute calls and be like, is this person like even relevant to my life. So through those calls, I did a lot of the groundwork. So it really in January, this is like crazy, but end of December, early January, I got a call from an old boss and she was like, do you, I have this opening through a friend. Do you want it? And I was like, sure. I didn't even like know what was going to happen. It was around the holiday time. Everything was crazy. And within like a week, I signed a contract for a year long retainer job. And I did nothing. Like I literally just sat there and like received an email and took a phone call with someone I look up to and, you know, is a mentor to me. And within a week had like a full job basically. But it wasn't like it just popped out of nowhere. It was a year of me like doing stuff on LinkedIn, doing speaking engagements, being on podcasts. Like I was doing all that foundational work. And I think people either like know how to do that and are good at it or they're not. Like it's not like you can't learn, but I have a PR background that all came very, very naturally to me. So and for yourself, because I feel like it is something that I've heard from people where, you know, maybe they're good at it for other people, but for themselves, it, it feels different. Does it feel natural for yourself as well? Or do you see any distinction between doing that work for someone else versus yourself or not really? I think I'm so much better at doing it for myself than other people. <laughs> like I wouldn't hire me to like, I mean, I guess personal branding is different. Like I feel like I could like do a good job for a person. But the reason I got out of traditional PR was because I wasn't good at it. Like I was not good at media relations. I did not. My press releases were mediocre. Like I got kind of out of the whole like PR side when I became part of the influencer marketing world and like literally was one of the people that essentially created it along with all of the other veterans and women. But I mean, I was working in it. And so like what clicks with you? Like what do you 
Like if you were to have, let's say, an extra five hours a week, you know, to just spend on your own personal branding, like what would you focus on doing more of? Like where do you see the most impact? I mean, I don't really have strategy. Like I try and post on LinkedIn once a week, which is not what they recommend. They recommend every day. Like I don't really follow necessarily all the rules. I don't have like a bustling social media presence. Like my Instagram is like 50 of my friends. Like it's not anything special, but I, and I don't really focus on Instagram or TikTok or any of that. I really like just focus on LinkedIn, but I just, like it like sort of just comes natural. Like I ask for things. I think I'm comfortable. If someone has a podcast that I love, I'm very comfortable just being like, like, I don't even consider it really pitching myself. I just like, will send the person a note and be like, this resonated with me. We should talk. And they're like, yeah, come on my show. Like it's, I think people are really scared to put themselves out there. And when you actually like send the email and you're genuine about it and you actually have listened to what they do and can repeat stuff that they've talked about and tell them why it resonates, like people like that. Like it's not hard. It's really promoting yourself is not difficult if you're living in like your truth of doing it. If you're square peg round holing it, it's hard because you sound like a moron. But I go into it from a place of like genuine connection with people. And it's been very easy, very fun, very exciting kind of building this brand. And it makes the like sales process, like sales process, I've never really like fully sold. I I don't really have like a business development strategy necessarily. But when I do get connected with people that are like interested in working with me, it's so easy because I'm like, oh my God, you should listen to this podcast I was just on. I just talked about this. Or on my website, I have a guide about this. Like I've built the foundation that it's easy to talk about myself. In all, like, no, that's, I mean, that's interesting. Like, there's, cause the selling aspect of selling yourself, like, that can be a challenge for some people for sure. But it's an interesting approach, right? Like, in those conversations, like, to not necessarily have to, like, hard sell yourself there, but sort of like, you've got all the resources in the world. Like, yeah, I was on this podcast, I did this blog, I did this. And it feels different. It feels really helpful for them to them. It feels like really value driven, but it's also, of course, simultaneously showing them that like you're sought after, like you're a thought leader in the industry. So you have credibility. So it's like a, it's a smart approach. It's really interesting. And so I think that like, I'm super curious about this. I would love to hear from you about like more about how you found the opportunities that you've landed as a freelancer and more specifically how you determined those rates. I can imagine that it's changed as you've sort of learned what the market will bear and what the market will pay. But like, and I also heard you say earlier, which is interesting, I should have asked it when you said it, but you're like offer as, I think you said as a consultant, you offer, you know, an affordable retainer rate or something like that. You specifically said the word affordable, which is a very specific approach. So like talk to us about like how have you learned what to charge and like how do those pricing conversations go? I'm not like an expert in this because I've I have had a couple like unique situations where like I was just given projects. And I will say, let me just sort of segue and then I'll talk about that. But the number one referral person that has given me the most business has been ex, oh, sorry, has been ex bosses. So I know this is not possible for every job. I know some people like want to never see their boss ever again, but I've had multiple ex like direct managers or bosses, whether they were like above my boss's boss, whatever, who have like literally handed me businesses, handed me books of work. 
And that I know that is not like necessarily something that's easy, but I've been very blessed in that. So some of the work that I was given was just like handed to me and they're like, this is the right, take it or leave it. And it was, I don't want to use the word decent because I was figuring out what I was supposed to charge, you know, like I, again, like you kind of back out from what your annual is, divide it by 12 months. That'll give you a monthly number that you want to hit. Just knowing that you might not hit it the first year, you might not hit it every month. Some months are better than others, but that's kind of the starting point. It's like your annual salary divided by 12. And then if you want to even granulize it more, you can divide it by, you know, four weeks for a month, whatever. So I had an idea, like I had like a range of kind of what my hourly should be. And for like one on one-off things, like I was doing like phone calls for an hour. Those I would charge my hourly. I was like, I only will do this for X amount of money. If it was longer term, you kind of shrink the hourly because the commitment is longer. So to your question, I think the idea is like having that range, knowing that certain longer term things are going to maybe fall on the lower end of that range. One-off hour or two-hour phone calls like aren't really worth it unless you get kind of your top dollar hourly. And that's kind of how I approach things. And sometimes it worked. Like sometimes I would do a proposal for someone, especially like small businesses or like single person owned businesses, and they would freak out when they saw my number. They would be like, I absolutely cannot afford that. And then it's a conversation of like, are you willing to like bring me on sort of as this consultant that's not doing any work? but you pay me a smaller fee, whether it's hourly or a retainer. And I sort of come on and guide you. And that worked a couple of times where they would be like, I'll pay you, you know, X amount for two months. And I only need a couple hours of your time. And for me, that was worth it. Cause I was like, I have the time, but I will say the best advice that I've gotten and I've gotten it over and over and over from all the people that are killing it is to not do everything that I just said and to structure it. Like think of it as two to four, maybe five clients, charge them a monthly retainer that then backs out to your annual and don't go below that. Like that's the most advice that you get is like four, five, 6,000, whatever per client per month. And you do not go below that. And those are the people that are doing well, are, you know, continuing to have the clients year over year. But at the same time, and I'm just making kind of like a generalized statement. Those are the people that really are okay with working the 40 to 50 hours a week. Like they're willing to kind of slot in those clients into almost a full-time schedule. I am still not at the point where I'm ready to be fully full-time. I'm like almost full-time. But I, right now at this point in my life, I have a three and a five-year-old. I am valuing my time. So I I'm still a little bit okay with some of the smaller work. I know that's going to maybe shift this year. You guys, I'm still figuring it out if you can't tell. Um, but but yeah. But I, I think, think but, I, but I mean, I'll stop you just briefly. I don't mean to interrupt, but like, no, no. I don't know that like, is the goal to work 40 hours? Like that's like, I feel like perhaps like I'll ask the question, like, is that just traditional work or agency mentality, you know? Like, is that just because we're so programmed to working 40 hours a week? Because, or, because what I'll say is like, as a freelancer, as a consultant, you do absolutely have all the flexibility in terms of what you charge, in terms of how much you work. And if you, like Katie, if you want to work 20 hours a week and you want to make 40 hours a week worth of pay, 
you totally can. And I think that like, and, and so maybe that goes to earlier. Like, I wonder if that's a trap that some of us fall into as freelancers, right? Like, and I don't want to speak for you. So I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think you're right. But I also think that that's a little idealistic, especially in this environment where everyone's going freelance. Like in theory, if you hunt business and find the people that are willing to pay you that much and work that little, like in, I'm not saying it's not, it's not possible, but I, from my experience, like that is difficult. I think you, it can happen. I just would hate for people to think that that's kind of the norm. Cause like, like I said, the people that are making the three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, which I know multiple of them, they are working 40, 45, 50 hours a week. Like they are hustling. They're not working. They're not working themselves into their fingers bleed. Like you do at an agency. They're not working till midnight. Like they still have some of that flexibility, but they really need a full time load to for these companies to like sort of like even allow them to fit in with their schedule like they just need more access to them like I will say like my one client my one agency client right now I can do whatever I want I can sign in when I want I'm sort of independent like I don't really have a team I just kind of like come in and do the work and make sure it's done and it's great but like I couldn't do like four of those like I don't know what the answer is I know that I know what you're saying and that is the beauty of this, but I also I just wonder, like, I just want to put it out there. Like, I just, I wonder if it's possible. And the answer is that it might not be, or at least like might not be in this economy that we're in and like not wanting to sell a pipe dream and like, you know, maybe in a healthy economy, sure, but like maybe not now. And I think that's totally valid and like important to say. So I appreciate you saying that a lot. I think that like, but I do think that like, regardless of like, the exact amount of money that you're bringing in. I do think that we probably could all benefit from like rewiring ourselves a little bit from like what we're all so used to. But I think like even just jumping into being a consultant or a freelancer is like hugely rewiring, uh, you know, in of itself. Like we can work from home. What? Like that was inconceivable like years ago. The fact that like you can set your own hours. Like you're telling me that you have a client right now and they're like, we're not going to say like, you know, check in from nine to five. Like you can set your own hours. Like that's, that was inconceivable like years ago or even like, even currently some people think that that is inconceivable, you know? So I think it's just like, it's interesting to like rethink the way that like we all work and like what is possible because if you don't even think that it's a possibility, how could you ever get there? Like how could you ever work your way there? And, and it does like it, it takes time, right? Like this, none of this stuff is going to happen overnight. I think it's like all such a journey, but I do think that it's a really powerful thing, right? To like have it in mind is like, this is possible and I can get some shade of it. Maybe I don't get a hundred percent of like, you know, I work 10 hours a week and I'm making $300,000 a year. Like good for me. But like, maybe you get closer to that. And if it's something that you want for yourself, like because you know it's possible, you can make it possible. Yeah. And I think um, it's like the crawl, walk, run mentality too. It's like I started doing so much stuff before I ever left a corporate job. Like I was starting my LinkedIn. I was starting to go on podcasts. Like I was setting the groundwork. And I've had actually had people come to me for advice on leaving corporate. I never thought I was going to be like a coach, like of that sense. Like that's not my expertise, but now it kind of is by accident. And the thing that I always say to them is just because you're like employed full time doesn't mean you can't do all this personal branding stuff. Like if you start before you take the full jump, it's a lot easier. 
than just going. And I know that when you get laid off, you don't know when it's going to happen and it's out of your control. But start now. Everyone, everyone in the world right now can start slowly building up their personal brand that will eventually turn into those people potentially being clients or directing you to clients when you do take that. So I think there's this like all or nothing mentality or like misconception. And the reason it was kind of an easier transition for me was because I did not just snap my fingers and go independent. Like I had been building towards that for many years. It's like the epitome of like an insurance policy. It's like your business insurance policy is you. (laughs) You don't have to, that's a good thing. You don't have to pay anyone for that insurance. Like it is you just putting in some work and building up a personal brand. And so like if and when that transition happens, like whether it's your decision or not, it's going to be a more seamless transition because like something already is created for you. You don't have to like completely start over from scratch. And I think it's really, really important. So maybe if like any takeover away from this conversation, like maybe that's the most actionable thing that like anyone can do. Like just get your thoughts out there, like establish yourself as a thought leader in like whatever it is. Like maybe it's like more on like the social media side of things versus influencer or maybe it's like I don't know, about a certain type of influencer talent. Like some people are really, really very – I know someone in WIM who's like focusing – there's people who focus on athletes. There's people who focus on, you know, DE&Is, people who focus on all sorts of like topics that they're specifically passionate about. I think it's like establish yourself as a thought leader in that area. And like the more – I don't know. What are your thoughts on like niching down in terms of what you talk about? Like, do you think that that's a good idea or do you think that people who are hiring freelancers would appreciate and look for somebody who is a little bit more broad in their knowledge? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's really important to have sort of like a stamp of what you're known for. Like I think of like, I can name a million people and I'm like, she's the go-to for this. She's the go-to for this. And like some of those things they didn't even put out there. They just sort of became the go-to because that's just how it shook out. And I actually have not done a great job of niching down. I think the whole like peek behind the curtain brand side thing is probably the most niche I get, which isn't super, super niche. But yeah, I mean, I think we're all a little bit of generalists. Like if you work in this industry, marketing, influencer marketing, you can be somewhat of a generalist. Like, I mean, when I worked at one of the agencies I was at, I was on the digital team and I've never been a community manager. I've never like ran a social account but the influencer team fell under digital. So I had to like kind of quickly figure out how to be part of a digital team. So we're all sort of generalists to an extent, but I do think niching down, having your stamp of what you're known for is you want to be the person that they think of when they think of something, you know, like that's really the driver of becoming popular in a sense, like within your industry. And I think it's important. And I don't think you need to figure it out. That that kind of goes back to my whole point about the first year of like figuring it out, taking the smaller gigs, because you might realize that you're like a really good copywriter or something. Like you might realize that a skill you have from influencer marketing or from PR, you're actually good at like a very small piece of something that you can monetize. I mean, I've seen people do that. I've seen people that like their backgrounds are in something totally random, like totally broad. And then they like are good at one small piece of it. Like for instance, just in case you're like, what is she talking about? A girl I used to work with at Ogilvy in PR, she was like on the digital side. I do not keep in touch with her anymore, but I just saw on LinkedIn that she started a freelance graphic design business. And she was always kind of the girl I would go to. Like I remember she created a Snapchat filter for me for my wedding because she was just good at that, like art design. But I don't think she has a necessarily a background. She might've gone and gotten credentials for it, but like PR to graphic design is It makes sense, but it's also like kind of random. So I do think that stuff is kind of important. It's to kind of 
focus a little bit more to be known for one thing. And like maybe that's part of the journey too and like finding out what you enjoy the most, yeah. you know, like me, like, cause again, like just cause you can do something like me, I don't know, I don't know this person, but like maybe she like, she can do PR. Maybe she grew up with two parents who are like in the PR industry and so she like went down that route cause she had the familiarity and like that was her path. And then like, lo and behold, like she really just enjoys like graphic design so much more and like it's related, but it is very different. And so like, it's interesting also, right? Like being, having that broad expertise of like knowing about PR so she can infuse that into her work and have that approach graphic design work from that lens. But like, just, I don't know. I think we all just need to do more of what we like genuinely really love. And I think that like, I don't know, I think that a lot of us, like myself included for years, was just like going down a path, like with like blinders on and being like, I don't know, that's the goal. Like, this is what I've done. There's so much history there. There's so much investment of time that I've made in like creating this life that like, how can I ever pivot? Like, you're almost like too deep into it. And I feel like it's just like going from full time to freelance. Like I have invested so much in my career. I'm so deep into my time working at, you know, this company or that company, or even just like agencies in general. Like now I'm just going to like uproot myself and like do something totally different. That is like a radical thought for so many people. And so I think it's like really cool to just like hear your experience and like how also like we have different phases of life. Like you're talking about like, you know, you did that for a long time and then you have kids and like it felt very different. And like for some people, it's having kids. For some people, it's just like, I don't know, I'm 10 years removed from when I first started working at a company. And like we all just like naturally evolve and change. And like 10 years later, you're going to have different priorities. You're going to have different things in life that are just like important or fun or enjoyable to you. I like, so I think it's important to respect that of yourself. And I, so I'm curious too, I would, I'd love to just dive into it briefly, like not briefly, but I'd love to dive into it. Like, how do you manage your day as a mom and a business owner, like as a mom and in influencer marketing? Like, it sounds like you want to be the type of parent, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you want to be the type of parent who's like present, who's not just, you know, seeing them for a couple hours before they go to bed and, you know, on the weekends maybe. But like, it sounds like you want to be a more present parent. And so like, how does that inform your work? And like, what, any advice that you could give to other women who have young kids and, but also love their careers? Yeah. I mean, I love my day to day now. Like, I don't mean to like, I'm trying not to come off as like, braggy because I know it's hard when you're corporate you can't just do this and even some freelancers as we discussed can't don't have the freedom but I've sort of crafted my day-to-day -day now where it's pretty perfect and that can the other thing about freelance is it can change in two seconds if I get another amazing client my day-to-day -day is not going to look the same depending what their needs are so that's the other thing it's a little house of cardsy in the sense that like things can be really good for a couple months add a card and it could sort of crumble good or bad whatever but right now I love my schedule. So I'll, I'll walk you kind of through it because it's pretty great. If someone else resonates, I'm happy to like kind of talk about how I've gotten here. But I, my kids are full-time daycare. They're both in daycare. My son will go to kindergarten next year, but he's a deadline birthday. So he has another like year of daycare, which is great. So they are able to be in childcare from like seven in the morning to like six at night. We never keep them that long. They usually get to school around eight, sometimes 830 if we're running late. And then we always pick them up by four. So to me, that's like what I'm comfortable with. If I need it, we've kept them till five. I've never really kept them past five, but I like the ability to like have them safe. They're fed, they're taken care of, they're having fun, they're doing art projects all day. And 
going outside to play. They're doing great things, but they're not, I'm not extending it to the max. I feel like that's a long day, which we go to a school at a hospital, lots of doctors and nurses. A lot of those kids are there all day and there's nothing wrong with that. Their parents are literally saving lives. I am not saving anyone's life during. So, so that, so my kids go to school in the morning and then I have learned over the last year, primarily that I only can work out around nine o'clock in the morning. I hate working out. I am not good at getting myself to the gym. The only time my brain will allow me to give an hour of my day to like physical activity is around nine o'clock. I'm fully awake. I've eaten breakfast. My kids are gone. The day hasn't, my email hasn't started to blow up yet. So I value that like nine to 1030 ish window. Like I literally would give up a million dollar client just to keep that window. Like I would, I'm like knock on everything. I would do that because I value that time so much. I do yoga almost every single day. I zen out and that is the time that I've realized I need. So it's really like my self-care time. Then I get home around 1030. I might shower. I might not like depending on how fast I got to get to my computer. And then I'm in like full on work mode minus like lunch or whatever. Maybe take a call like today. I'm doing a podcast that was in my calendar for weeks. So I didn't book around it and I am in meetings. I am doing execution work. I am finding influencers for campaigns. I am doing billing. Lord knows I'm doing tons of billing. And then around 3.30, my husband will send me a text from upstairs. He works from home too. And he'll be like, who's getting the kids? And we'll sort of start planning for our afternoon. One of us will go get the kids at four. Dinner's around five. And then I'm with my kids until they go to bed at like seven. So I'm working probably like a solid like six to seven hours a day, I would say. And then if I need to finish, I have from like eight to 10. I don't love doing that. but it's a requirement sometimes where when the kids are asleep to kind of finish up, especially if I'm like building out influencer lists or something and do it from bed, which is great. And then I try to get to sleep by like 9, 30, 10. And then my kids come into my room 75 times throughout the night and wake me up. But that's kind of my schedule now. And it's so nice because it's not like a head, butt smack you in the face, drink, chug your coffee, start working type of life. Like my life is a little bit more open and free. And like, yes. It sounds yeah, more balanced. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like the time that I'm working, yeah. I am hardcore working. Like I am in it. I have three screens up. Like I look like a mad scientist, but I work better when I sort of have the confines of that. So yeah, I don't know. I will protect the schedule at all costs at this point. The For me, the money isn't worth my schedule. Like I, my schedule is the most important thing and it might change and that's okay. But for right now it's working. Yeah. And you also have like very young kids. So like I feel like as they get older and like just a few years, oh my God, I can't even think about that though, <laughs> you know, how quickly they grow up. But like thinking about when they're older, like I don't know, I have an eight-year-old. So like I don't know what it is to have like a 16-year-old or something. Right. I think their needs just change. Like I've also heard from some parents that like, and of course it totally depends on the kid. And like sometimes they're like very easy young kids and then they have a bit more needs later on. So like it depends. You're needed in different ways, I guess, as they grow up. But just to like, it's so, I can imagine like it's so nice to be able to like have been able to create the, you know, the schedule that you, that feels so good. It does. It's like your every day. And like being able to like do all those things like makes you happier in your career and knowing that you have the flexibility in your career probably makes you happier and more present you know, as a parent and like the only thought, it's just a limited time that we have our kids like in our lives. And again, I just want to be cognizant because like not everybody is a parent or wants to be a parent or whatever. But like, but if you are, I just, I think it's really important to talk about like we are a women's focus group at the end of the day. And I think that like, 
it's important to talk about it because I know like we're trying to have our own kid now. And so like right now we have Zoe part-time. She's my step kid. And so like, oh, like it'll change so much. Like my schedule work-wise, like having a kid full-time, I'm not used to that. And now you have two. And so it's like, it's, it can feel like daunting. It can feel scary. Like that change in schedule, like exactly what you're saying. And I'm sure you've had lots of changes in schedule from like having one kid to then having two, like, and doing that on top of having a, you know, corporate job. And now it sounds like you and your husband like work f- from home, which I can imagine has been a game changer, you know, and flexibility. And then I don't know. It's just like, it's a lot of change. Like, are you somebody that like thrives in change? Like, do you, are you indifferent about it or do you not like change? I would like my schedule not to change. <laughs> I would like to kind of keep it how it is now. But yeah, I mean, I've worked from home for a long time because when I went part-time, like I was saying earlier, they sort of let me. So the pandemic for me wasn't that different. Like I was already, people were used to like being in a room together and then having me on the screen. I've sort of been part of this like work from home culture for a while, but I will say we were talking about this earlier and not to get like political or whatever, but like the nine to five in office schedule does not benefit mothers. And there are amazing fathers out there that do a ton of the work. I have friends who the husbands do all the cooking, all the cleaning. Like I am not saying that this is more for women, but just in reality, we all know women technically or probably statistically, I'm not, you know, whatever, I'm not quoting anybody, do the lion's share of the work or the majority of the work in terms of the household and especially the children. Even just coordinating babysitters takes forever. Finding daycares takes forever, just the research. And the nine to five, take a train for an hour, sit in traffic for two hours, whatever it is, nine to five in office schedule does not work for women. It doesn't work for men either, but it especially does not work for women. So I am very like passionate, if you can't tell, about work from home. And I love being in an office. I would love, that's part of a freelance thing. You sort of, that part of your like personality sort of dies. There's no like water cooler talk. Like I try and like go to lunch with other freelancer friends here and there, whatever. But I don't, it's not that I hate working in an office. It's just, you see your kids for an hour a day. You sit in a car or public transportation for hour or two or three hours a day. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like it just doesn't when we have the ability to be so virtual and that I could never go back to. Like I, for all the money in the world, maybe a billion dollars I'd go back, but that's pretty much my threshold at this point is the importance of being able to like be in your home and take care of the needs that you need to take care of in your home, regardless of kids. Like I'm, this isn't even just for parents, like taking care of your plants and your pets and just being there in your house, you know, more than an hour a day when you're not sleeping to me is so important. Being able to take a walk at two o'clock if you want to just get out and not have your boss be like, where the hell is she going? You know? So I think that's another like important part of this whole like conversation about the freelance is just like we deserve as human beings at this point in 2024, we've proven that we can do it to be able to like have the freedom to work where we want to and on our terms. As long as we're getting the work done, which I feel like COVID showed that it works. I hope that like enough employers are listening to this conversation, right? Like the people who are deciding who are making these rules, because I don't think you're in the minority like at all. I think that a lot of people feel like that. And like, of course, there's exceptions to the rule. It's fine. But I I don't know. I hear a lot more people saying what you're saying than the opposite. I also want to like talking about personal branding and talking about like, additional ventures. I want to talk a little bit about your ebook if we can, because I think it's the coolest thing. I like, I'm so curious, how long did it take you to write your ebook, which we will totally link in the show notes, by the way, if you guys are interested in checking it out, how long did it take you to write it? And also like, 
Is there anything that you learned from the process of writing an ebook that you would do differently if and when you do like a second edition or a second book? Yeah. No. So I wrote the book because I had been writing these like playbook for multiple agencies, multiple companies. Like everywhere I worked, I was asked to write this like playbook of how to do influencer marketing. And I was like, I'm not writing this and like doing a bunch of research and pulling from things. I'm literally just writing it from my brain. Like this is all stuff that I have done numerous times. Negotiations, vetting influencers, casting, all of that. And as I was saying earlier, like there's a very few percentage of us that were around when this industry was like literally didn't exist, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever. So the information that I had in my brain was like completely like proprietary to me. And I was like, I can't keep like giving this away to companies. Not not that I can't like contribute whatever, but I had written these like long, long, long playbooks. And I was like, I got to like put this on paper on my own. So I wrote it. It took me about three months from the time I got laid off from my corp, my last corporate job in February of 2023. And when that minute that that happened, I was like, I'm going freelance. <laughs> we're, we're doing this. I started writing like instantly. And I already had sort of a basis of it. I had started, but I formalized it. I designed it. I put it into like a more of a readable template. And now I actually have downloadables. I don't know if I even have shared that with you yet, Jesse, but I have some downloadables that are free on there too, on the website. And they're like quick, like little conversation pieces of things that are helpful for people on the talent side, influencers, and just like kind of like how the brain of someone that works at the brand works to help with communication bridging. But yeah, I mean, it's been really fun for me as part of my personal brand. I know I'm like obsessed with personal brand, but as part of building that and becoming a thought leader, I really wanted a business that like spoke just to influencer marketing. I had a website that was like katiestoller.com and it's kind of just like a portfolio site of what I've done and what I can do. But I didn't have any like mind share that lived on the internet aside from my social channels. So for me, it was just kind of like a home to home all of the stuff that I've done and that I know about from this industry and to be able to sell it to people that are interested in getting a foundational kind of course in influencer marketing. And it's been really fun. I've, the feedback's been great. And I will, you know, eventually, hopefully build it out a little bit more. But for now, it's sort of what's the word like hero product that I talk about when I'm giving speeches or whatever. No, I love it. I'm like obsessed. I think it's so good. It's so smart. Like to have a hub and a place to just like put all your thoughts down. Like you, we, can, we all share on social media, but like if somebody wants to like reference something specifically or you want to be, you know, in your sales pitch to like a potential client, you can say like, hey, it's actually in this ebook. They're like, oh, she wrote an ebook. Like again, it just like adds to the credibility. Yeah. It organizes your thoughts and, and the things that you are going to be utilizing throughout the, you know, your freelance career. So like, it's so smart. I don't think enough people like think to go that route. So I thought it was so cool that you did that and to know like three months, like I'm sure it wasn't just three months, like three months of like actually doing the thing. Like there's a lot of preparation, I'm sure. But like in three months, you can you can totally do that. And like, how did you publish it? Like what are some of the behind the scenes, like technical aspects of it? Well, shout out to Sabrina Jose, if you're listening. She, I met her through whim, was just one of those people that was like, I'm going to figure this out for you. Like she loved my idea. And we sort of like swapped kind of like competency, competencies, I can't say that word. And I mentored her in her career. And she helped me build this beautiful website. We built it ourselves. And she helped me figure out a lot of the like e-commerce stuff. I am like not a technologically savvy person at all. I'm like a grandma when it comes to that. 
So she helped me with a lot of that stuff that like I could have figured out, but it would have taken me forever to like research it. So she helped me sort of streamline that. And then I had all the content. I sat in a library. I went to like all the different libraries that are around my house just to like mix it up for those three months. I wrote, I would say like 20 hours a week. Like I wrote a lot. I was sitting there writing editing, changing things, you know, swapping things out. And then we didn't self-publish it. It just lives on the website. And I did some promotion of it. I definitely could have done more, but I also was trying to grow my personal brand in conjunction with it. If you if you go to Influencer Insider Guide, that's the name of it, influencerinsiderguide.com, you won't even know it's me. And that was that was my per- on purpose. I didn't want the website to be Katie Stoller. I wanted it to be its own living, breathing, cool thing that you could purchase or that you could, you know, partake in without being associated with me because I was simultaneously kind of building up my own uh, freelance business. And it, I don't know if the strategy was the best, but it worked. (laughs) It got me to where I am, which I'm very, as you can tell, very happy with my schedule these days. But that was kind of the approach was it was sort of separate from me, but then it was something I could refer back to when I was speaking to potential clients. I love it. I think it's awesome. We'll, of course, link to it in the show notes for sure because I think it's definitely like a great resource, whether it's for you or like we all come in contact with people who are like newer to the industry. Would you say it's for like, does it, is it for newbies, people who are sort of like, you know, mid-level, senior level? Like who is it best for? The book, which is the one thing that you can purchase, the downloadables are free, but the book is 28, 30 pages of resources, templates, and then just content. And I take you through sort of an example. And it's really focused on the brand side. It's like influencers 100% should read it and see what the brand is thinking. But for them, it's more of like a voyeuristic, oh, what are they thinking? It, It was written more for the founder, small business owner, person new to, you know, an agency or new to PR that's trying to figure out what this whole influencer thing is all about. Maybe like a new CMO or like a more even junior marketing person that doesn't really understand our influencer marketing. That's really kind of like who it was written for. Okay. Amazing. I love that. And I hope that you, you know, I hope you either add to it or like write another one. I just think it's a really cool resource for people. So obviously we'll link to that in the show notes. Definitely check it out, whether it's for yourself or recommending it to somebody else. It makes a good gift, I'm sure. Like it's a cool, innovative thing to give to someone. So definitely check that out. And then I just want our community to connect with you. I know that so many members of our community are already connected with you because you're just like a very prominent member in the community. So of course, they can just message you on Slack if they're already a member. But for the people who maybe aren't members or just want to connect with you in other ways on social, would you say LinkedIn is maybe the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn for sure. I'm on there literally all day. And then also hello at katiestoller.com is my email. Definitely feel free to reach out, just say hello, whatever. I'm very open to meeting new people and getting on a quick call, whatever. But yeah, I would love to connect with anyone. Okay. So thank you for coming on a third time. (laughs) I really appreciate it. It's always fun to just like catch up with you. I think this has been a really interesting conversation. I hope people enjoy it as well as much as I have. I'm excited to see like, you know, we'll have you on again, like for sure, like year five when you're your fifth year anniversary yes. and oh I want to check in with you then obviously you'll have you'll come on before then but like point being I want to see you thrive in this environment it sounds it feels like it's really right for you and I'm just excited to see like what's in the future for you yes so, and thank excited. you Jesse too for all your support I feel like I mean I'm just one of the many many women that you've given advice to throughout the years you've been such a great like sounding board I've called you happy I've called you sad like you're just there for us and I just want 
you to know that like it's so incredibly valuable and important and we're like so grateful for you. So well, thank you. And I will also give it right back to you. You've also been a resource for me in lots of ways, both professional and personal as well. So it's just good to find people that you connect with. That's really important. So I'm thankful for you as well. And I'm thankful to all of you guys for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Katie is like the best and you should definitely connect with her. Check out her ebook and just get to know her better. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye guys. If you enjoyed this episode, we gotta have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating, but the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.